There are those songs that come on the radio where we're sitting at a stoplight or navigating traffic, and as soon as the first or second note comes through the speakers, we can tell you what song it is. We can start singing the lyrics. We can name the band. We can remember the concert. We've heard the song a thousand times before. All these memories start come flooding back that are connected to the song. That it is recognizable in an instant. And there are Bible stories that are the same way. That when we hear the first line or first phrase, we can tell you the rest of the story. And all of a sudden, memories of felt boards at vacation Bible school and old maps sitting in the corner of Sunday school classes come to mind. And the story about Abraham and Isaac is one of those stories. But the longer we sit with it, and the more we read it from the beginning to the end, more questions start to emerge. That from the very first line, all after these things, God tested Abraham. We can tell you the rest of the story. That Abraham took his son Isaac, whom God had promised to Abraham and Sarah, to the land of Moriah. And Abraham took Isaac to be a burnt offering, a child sacrifice. And Abraham cut the wood and prepared the altar, but did not tell Isaac what he was doing until Isaac asked his father, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And then Abraham raised a knife above his head. But then, the voice of an angel said, Do not lay a hand on this boy. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram in the thicket. That if we read this story closely and carefully, not assuming we know what it means by just hearing the first sentence, but reading it from the beginning to the end, we are far from comfortable with it. There is too much deceit, risk, and danger. But this story has been characterized as the ultimate test of faith. But is this the kind of test that God demands? 
this story first told in the book of Genesis is told during a time where people are asking the question, who is God in new ways? That the people are surrounded by stories of many gods. And here we have this emerging witness of Abraham and Sarah about the one true God. And it raises all these new questions. And those questions are the driving force behind the entire book of Genesis. That Genesis is trying to answer those questions related to who is God? That God is creator of everyone and everything. And after the flood, God decided never to act violently towards the world again, like other gods do. And that God makes a commitment to work with humanity, not over and against humanity, to reveal who God is. And that God remains faithful even when humanity gets it wrong. The book of Genesis is about who God is and who God is not. And so is this story about Abraham and Isaac. That it was not uncommon during this day and time for one of the many gods to demand child sacrifice. So the question lingers in the air. Would the God of Abraham and Sarah require such a thing? And when Abraham looks up and sees a ram in the thicket, the answer to that question is, God would never require such a thing. It is, as the book of James says, no one, when tempted, should say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and God tempts no one. That we must read Scripture carefully and closely. Because how we answer that question, who is God, truly matters. In a book about children and prayer, Betty Shannon Cloyd says, We must be careful what we teach about God because unlearning is hard to do. And perhaps we have all had to unlearn a few things. And we know how hard it is to do. So when we talk about who God is, we want to be careful because words shape worlds. But sometimes... The world wants us to answer a question in an unsettling way. 
In the book, Ashes for Breakfast, Thomas Holmes tells his story, talking about his experience as the pastor of Tattnall Square Baptist Church. It's a story of pain, grief, and courage. It was during the Civil Rights Movement in Macon, Georgia, during the time when Mercer University was integrating its student body. And many of those very first students integrating that college campus were from Africa. That They had become Christians because they had met Baptist missionaries in Africa, so now they decided to go to Mercer, a Baptist school for college. And Tattnall Square Baptist Church sat there on the campus of Mercer University. And Tattnall Square Baptist Church was one of those churches who had sent missionaries to Africa. They had supported missionaries in Africa. But that did not mean that those students were welcome in their church. That first... There were all these rumors that there would be black students who would visit. And then there was the Sunday where black students did visit. And then there were all these secret meetings for weeks. There was pressure on the pastor to resign. And then the church voted. 289 to 109 to close its doors to anybody who was black. And in the midst of this turmoil, a church member who was also a deacon came to see the pastor. And behind a closed door, the church member said, Tom, you can solve this problem if you want to. Our people don't want you to leave. You can bring the church together if you will preach just one sermon. Just one sermon is all that it will take. And the pastor leaned back in his chair and said, What is that sermon? And the church member said, you know what that sermon is. But since it is so important, how we answer that question, who is God? Thomas Holmes did not preach that sermon. And there are times when we are unsure how to answer hard questions. But there are some things that we can always say about God, regardless of the question. We can always say, God is love. We can always say, God forgives. We can always say that everyone and everybody matters to God. 
And we can always say, there is hope for a better tomorrow. The psalmist did not necessarily know what to say because the psalmist looked up and recognized something was wrong. Because back there in 2 Samuel, it said and promised there would always be a descendant of David sitting on the throne of Israel. But the psalmist looked up and knew that wasn't the case. But the psalmist said what we can always say. I will sing of your steadfast love, O Lord, forever. With my mouth, I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations. But in the face of hard questions, God's steadfast love remains with us. That we continue to say the things that we can say about God. Because words shape words. And we tend to become what we say. That our words shape our world. That it is, as Ronald Allen writes, if we believe in a large loving, compassionate, generous God, then we become large, loving, compassionate, generous people. And if we believe in a small, rigid, legalistic God, then we tend to become small, rigid, and legalistic. That our words are like the sail of a boat where you hoist it up and spread it out and then the wind fills it up carrying the boat forward. It is beautiful and powerful and we can take our words and we can lift them up and spread them out and let the winds of the Spirit of God fill them up and carry us towards the love of Christ. That let us lift up our words and use them well, allowing them to shape us and this world in life-giving ways. Amen.